Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is kind of continuing with the theme uh, from last week, uh, kind of ending off here as we're talking about um, being heirs with Christ. And, um, and we're going to talk a lot about what it means to be sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Uh, the message is titled Slaves, Servants, and Sons, and we'll be going through verse 11. So stand if you would, and we'll, um, we'll read through verses 1 through 11. Verse 1, now I say that the heir, as long as he is, he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you serve those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Always got always hard when he's got to turn on like the last verse, basically. Uh, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We can come together and we can study it. And so we pray that you'd speak to us, Lord, from your word. And we'd hear from you and that our lives would be changed. We would allow um, these truths to impact us. God. And that uh, you just give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts ready to be shaped and molded, soft before you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. We've kind of been sharing, even as we've been going through Galatians, Paul's been addressing legalism, um, especially the, the Judaizers bringing back in the law as part of salvation, right? Where you're not just saved uh, in Jesus alone, you're sanctified through the law. And so Paul is really going after it hard. But in this section, I think, is just a beautiful um, picture of our inheritance and who we are in Christ. Uh, I was super encouraged and I was... Um, just thinking about our standing, our foundation, who we are, our identity that's found in him. And so there's like crazy blessings for getting this and uh, for examining our own hearts, uh, the fruits of our lives and figuring out where we're at in this um, and allowing God to move. So again, we'll be talking about slaves, servants, and sons. Verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So he says, I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Uh, th the idea here is that if you're a child, you 
may be the heir of a great estate, but you aren't in charge of anything. You're just a kid. (laughs) You might actually be under a servant. A servant might be over you. A slave might be in charge of you. We talked a little bit last week about a tutor, the law being a tutor, which was one that would uh, be hired, often a slave, to help raise a child, make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know, eating how they're supposed to eat, obeying how they're supposed to obey, learning what they're supposed to learn. So you could have someone that's actually in a much lower position than you uh, as far as socially is actually in charge of you because you're a child, right? And we know this, so the, you know, the king and, and the prince, there are people in charge of them that are actually much lower in, in standing than the prince or the princess are, you know, as far as actually their birthright, who they are in their blood. And so what Paul's saying is that you, you could be an heir, that, and that's fine, but as long as you're a child, it doesn't matter. We're children under God, of God, we're children, but at the same time, while we're under the law, we're not quite where we're supposed to be. There is still something that we are under. And, and at the point where they become a man, where you're a man or woman, then at that point, you are no longer under the same people that were ruling over you, which would be the servants or the slaves, whatever. So Paul's saying like that heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. In theory, he's master of all. I mean, it's going to be all his. But at this time, he's under it. Verse 2, but is under guardians and stewards into the time appointed by the father. When the father recognizes the time, then, then all of that has been lifted. And now you walk into your kingdom and you are and not just an heir. You are a son. You are a ruler. Verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. We were slaves to sin, first of all. And and, uh, keep in mind, he's talking about the law, because that's what the Judaizers were pushing, right? So all of this has to do with the law. It's not just a story about, um, you know, heirs and, and, you know, kids, right? It's about the law. So we were like children. When we were like children... We're under the bondage, under the elements of the world. Sin, which was highlighted by the law. The whole point of the law was to highlight our sin, right? To show us exactly how guilty we are. To show us the the depth or the the gravity of how deep we are enrooted in sin. And to show us how desperate we are for a savior. Salvation. We need help. We are lost. We're, uh, we're you know despair in despair because of our place because of our standing we could be considered children of god but we didn't have any of the power that would come through what jesus would come and and empower us to do and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit here but that's the holy spirit living inside of us the same spirit that was in jesus inside of us empowering us not just to be okay with god but to be empowered to rule you know, with him as he's leading us and guiding us to be part of that as he's, yeah, there we go. Um, At best, before we were servants of God, hoping to please him, but without any means of attaining righteousness. That is what the law is capable of. Just 
basically hoping to kind of appease God, do the best that we can do, try not to fall into too many pitfalls. But if we're honest, there's no way of gaining any righteousness in that standing. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I'd kind of heard a story and I was reading in a commentary on John Wesley. No, John Wesley is. Uh, um, he had a very interesting background. John Wesley was an honor graduate at, of Oxford University uh, and an ordained clergyman in the Church of England and Orthodox in theology. He was active in practical good works, regularly visiting the inmates of prisons and workhouses in London and helping distribute food and clothing to slum children and orphans. He studied the Bible diligently and attended numerous Sunday services as well as other services during the week. He generously gave offerings to the church and alms to the poor. He prayed and fasted and lived an exemplary exemplary, uh, moral life. He even spent several years as a missionary to the American Indians in what was then the British colony of Georgia. Yet upon returning to England, you're thinking, what a good guy. We want to be more like John Wesley, right? But yet upon returning to England, he confessed in his journal, I who went to America to convert others was never myself converted to God. Later reflecting on his pre-conversion condition, he said, I had even the, uh, I had even the faith, sorry, I had even then the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. Wesley tirelessly did everything he could to live a life acceptable to God, yet he knew something was vital, vital was missing. It was not until he went very unwillingly to a society in Aldergate uh, Street uh, one evening that he discovered and claimed true Christian life. I felt my heart strangely warmed, he wrote. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given me that I had uh, taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Things were no longer elemental for Wesley. He had entered into the heavenlies. John Wesley, a man dedicated to being a servant of God, yet was not a son. And it's so easy to, one, we're going to be talking about, one, be a slave, enslaved to sin, Right? That is the first thing we deal with, being enslaved to sin. We are, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's, it's in bondage. Like there are bars holding us in. Our sin is holding us in bondage. We are imprisoned. We are not allowed out. And it's, it, we start there. We all start there. If you don't think you've ever started there, then you are still there right now. Like, to recognize that you are enslaved by your sin is essential to coming to faith in Jesus because you are convicted by the law. You are convicted by your sin. And conviction is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. Unless you don't listen to it. Then it kind of gets really bad, right? And especially, the worst thing you could do is numb out conviction. Right, your conscience—you know—you learn it even as your conscience. Don't don't keep on lying. Don't keep on. Eventually, your conscience is going to be seared. Eventually, you're not going to be able to feel. Eventually, you're going to be calloused, and the things that affected you will no longer affect you. And now, your past feeling—this is a bad thing. But when you feel conviction, this is a very very good thing, and it's meant to invoke action in your life. 
we all started as slaves, slaves to sin, right? And a lot of times we can go from slaves to saying, oh, I just, okay, cool, I'll be a servant of God. I was a servant or a slave of sin. Okay, I'll be a servant of God. I'll start doing these things. I'll make sure I go to church. I'll make sure I read my Bible. I mean, seriously, if you listen to this list, you're like, um, he's beating all of us, right? As far as in Christian living, what we would call it. But he was extremely empty inside because he had not attained the sonship that is essential to salvation and life in Christ. So if you're like, man, it's just so hard to do all the things I'm supposed to do. Well, the main thing that needs to happen is he needs to do work here. And in the work, it happens in our hearts. What comes out and fruit. I just was encouraged by that. Of course, we know John Wesley went on to become an unbelievable, you know, witness to before God and was, uh, you know, he, he started in, in many, many churches and was a big part of a huge ministry that went out from that point. God had to touch his heart. And it's amazing. He was a pastor. He was a, he was ordained. He was in the university. He was a missionary. And yet God had to reach him where he was at. If that's us, there's no need to be embarrassed. That's just like time to recognize, right? All right, Lord, if this is where I'm at, if this is where I'm, I've not really ever gotten to that place. Well then keep listening. God is speaking to you. Verse four, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Notice the beginning of verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, think about this, the fullness of time, God isn't late. He's not early either. (laughs) All of this was according to plan. Maybe we need to hear that, right? Because a lot of times, we, it's so easy to get sucked into everything the world's throwing at us. All the, the things the news is trying to shoot down your throat. All the fear-mongering, which is extremely powerful. But something that we as Christians cannot be a part of. Fear does not belong in the life of a believer. Because fear says, God isn't on the throne. God doesn't care. He doesn't know. He either doesn't care or he's unable to do anything about it. Right? We've got to be wise, of course. We can't be foolish. We've got to be smart in the way we handle everything that comes before us. But to be stuck in a place of fear says, I don't believe that God really is who he says he is. That's a problem, is it not? God is not who he says he is? No, he is. When the fullness of time had come. I, I was reading this whole like kind of like outline of, how perfect it was that Jesus came when he came in every single way, even down to the roads system that the Romans had built. How easy it was to get from place to place. How there was the Pax Romana, which was uh, a peace time where people could go to and fro and, and go from city to city, and it was relatively mellow. It was a perfect time for the gospel to get out. It was a perfect time for Jesus to come. Everything was lined up, not to mention the prophecies that had been foretold since the beginning. If God is able to keep prophecies from thousands of years earlier, is he capable of handling our life now? Yes. 
So just and be encouraged, right? We all have to remind ourselves of this. There's no condemnation in that. It's just in recognizing, man, we just got to stay where we're like, God, you know, you're in charge. I can bring everything I have before you, all the cares I have in the world, all the cares I have with my kids or whatever. But understand that the devil loves division and he loves confusion and he loves to make people scared about things that they shouldn't be scared of. And you'll notice when you're always in a fear like mindset, there's always, it's never that there's a God involved. You're just, it's just you. You're just taking care of yourself. You're autonomous. You're alone, like it's always been. I'm alone. I'll take care of myself. You know, self-made. I don't need anybody else. I got this. But you know what that means? I got to start lopping off people out of my life because people are variables, and I don't like variables. If I'm taking care of myself, I want everything around me to be solid. You know what that means? You're going to be just living in a pile of rocks. All you're going to have is rocks next to you. You're not going to have anything that has any life to it. Because anything that has life to it is vulnerable. You yourself will be vulnerable when you're around it. But God hasn't called us to that. And the people who will choose that path will be much more miserable than the ones that will choose to trust God and watch Him take care of it. Him move. So, we are... No longer slaves to fear. We are a child of God. Brody asked what the message was on, and he, he nailed the set list. <laughs> that is what we're talking about. Perfect. But to redeem those which are under the law. Um, yeah, and then, so he says to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The adoption, the word heuothesia, which, you know, again, I don't speak Greek, is a compound of huios and thesis. It's so a son and a placing. It's referring to the placing of a son where you have been given sonship. Um, oftentimes, there would be a wealthy, childless man who would adopt a young slave who would trade his slavery for sonship with all its privileges. What a good setup, right? Say you were born into slavery and you have no real future, no real hope. And, you know, the guy you're under, he's a fair guy and he's a, he's a good man. And, and you know what? And he doesn't have any kids and he looks at you and he says, man, I just really like that kid. And I don't have anyone to give all this to. So guess what? I'm going to adopt you. Now you're legally binding my son. This is exactly what we experience when Jesus comes and comes into our lives. When we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we become adopted sons of God. This is really good news, right? So that's that. And it's a choice that was made not by the kid, but by the father, right? It was all his idea. Okay? We couldn't have done it on our own. He chose to do it because he loves us. Now we've been given this. We're going to read about it right now. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It just keeps getting better. Now we have the same spirit as Jesus in our hearts. Do you recognize that? Do we recognize that? Yeah, I kind of have the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I feel it every once in a while. I have the Holy Spirit. It's kind of neglected. I understand. 
But to recognize like this is the same spirit that was in Jesus. I mean, he, Jesus didn't seem to be limiting what that spirit would do in our lives. He's like, you guys are going to be doing stuff even like more than I did when that spirit comes. And if you look at the lives of the disciples post Pentecost, which was when the Holy Spirit came, what was happening? Looked a lot like Jesus, didn't it? God was doing a mighty, miraculous work amongst his people. Good stuff. Amazing stuff. Like, we have that same spirit that was inside of Jesus living in us. That's great for the power sense, sure. But it, the, the best part is the fact that we have a relationship now with God that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is, the, defin, the definition of Abba is like Daddy or Papa. The idea is like a little kid talking to their dad. There's nothing sweeter than that. I know, because I have some. Like when they say, um, Daddy, can you do this with me? And you're like, yeah. Yep. I didn't want to do that, but now I definitely will be doing that. Because, Daddy, will you play dolls with me? How do I do this? Right now, Hazel is into my old Ninja Turtles. This is a good setup. Okay? Because it's like, um, Cannon was into them. Now, you know, Violet was kind of like, mm, girl, I want the girly stuff. Hazel's like, I love the Ninja Turtles. Of course, her favorite's April O'Neil. But she loves all of them. So it's a great setup. She's like, Daddy, will you play Ninja Turtles with me? Yes. Yes. This is a double yes. I would play with you anyway, but you're talking about Ninja Turtles. And so I'm into that, you know. Like, great, a pastor's playing with Ninja Turtles. With my daughter, okay? But uh, th- this, this idea of like a child crying out to their, that is the most intimate relationship you can have. And, and what it speaks to is a child that really trusts their dad, right? There's, you know, nothing more sad. I don't know if you had this kind of an upbringing, but I feel like you see it more in the movies where the child comes before their dad and they're like, Father, uh, uh, if uh, it wouldn't be too much to bother you as they come before their study. Um, would you like to speak with me for a moment? No, I'm far too busy. Go off on your way. No, no, my kids don't have any of that kind of stuff. Probably like, um, come on, dad, dad, dad. And you're like, okay, okay. There's this, this freedom of like, I can come before you. And it's not flippant. It's not like um, disrespectful. He wants it like this. And by the way, Jesus says the same thing. Abba, Father, in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, when he prays, he says, Daddy, we have the same spirit in Jesus. That's what allows us to have that relationship with him. And you're like, I don't want to call dad, God Daddy. It's kind of weird. Why is it weird? It's because maybe you have a weird concept of what that is and uncomfortable with that kind of uh, emotional or vulnerable kind of state. I get that totally. I'm not like a daddy kind of guy anyway. I don't know if I ever called my dad daddy. I'm not sure. But there's, there is absolutely something essential about having intimacy before the Lord, openness before the Lord, even if you didn't have it with your, with your dad like that. It's to be able to go before and say, God, I, you are, I, I crawl out to you. I cry out to you. Whatever it is, I know I can ask you, and I know you're going to be there. And by the way, my dad's the strongest dad in the whole world. By the way, my dad can do anything. He can fix anything. Oh, I broke it. Don't worry. Dad can fix it. I know it. 
That was like when I was growing up, that was the thing. If I broke it, my dad could fix it. I was devastated when he couldn't fix one thing. It was like I had to start making it. It was like a thing. My dad can fix everything except for that game. And then it was, and shoes. Can't fix shoes because they're just gone, right? They're toast. I really liked those. But I had to start making a little, like, you know, disclaimer. My dad can fix everything but these two things. But that's like that mindset, right, where you go before it and say, I trust you. I believe you. I know you've got me. We're no longer a slave. We're no longer just a servant in a hired sense. Of course, we're going to be servants of Christ and in Christ, but it's a different mentality of I'm going to serve to get standing. It's I get to serve because I'm changed. We are not just even a son, but an heir of God. What does that even mean? It means that he is invested in us. Now, let me encourage you with something. If you invest in something, you are going to follow up on it, right? If you invest in something, if you got skin in the game, you're going to follow up on it. I remember I was talking to a friend about getting a mountain bike and it was way more money than he, I, I said, yeah, this guy's selling one. I think it's too much. And he's like, yeah, that's more money I want to spend. He says, if I spent that kind of money, I better go all the time. That was his, his mindset. If I spend that kind of money, this better be something I do all the time. And you think well, that's kind of an interesting thought. Well, why wouldn't you go all the time or why do you have to because you spend this much money on it it's because the investment has to measure out right god makes an investment in us and so that means he cares about each of us and seeing it come to fruition to seeing that that faith being worked out in our lives to finish what he started in us if you feel alone that is from the devil you are not alone If you feel like God's done with you, you are wrong. He is not done with you. He's invested in you. You just got to come back to the place where you say, God, where where do you want me to go? What do you want me to to do? How do you want to continue working in me? He's invested in you. If you find that you've come to know Jesus and you've you've trusted him and his spirit is inside of you and you're kind of just meandering around in life, you are miserable. That's just all there is to it, I'm sure, right? Because whenever we're in that place of being lukewarm or kind of just whatever about life, you're going to be miserable because this is a radical call from a radical God that wants to see radical results in all of our lives. Which is so gnarly, so awesome. Verse 8, but then indeed, when when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. Interesting. When you did not know God, you serve those by nature, uh, which are not gods. So basically this is saying you didn't know God. So how would you know? You didn't really get it. So you just were serving whatever was in front of you. We all serve something. You got to serve somebody, right? This is, this is a uh, universal truth. You will be the servant of something or someone. We will always, that's just default. It's going to happen. You can even serve yourself. Well, that's the same thing. You're still serving some, something in that position of being a God. Of course, remember, we're speaking about the law. Verse 9. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, 
How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. He says, but you have known God. You've already known God. These are people who have literally, legitimately come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. God has done a work in their hearts. Good things are happening. And they went back to the old ways. They went back to working their way to salvation. Went back to using the law, right? And he's saying, so how could it be that after you've tasted the real thing, you went back to the fake thing? How can that be? How could you go back? There's nothing over there. This is not the real thing. Like, there, there's, there's nothing for you there. So why on earth would you care about all these observing days and months and seasons and years? And observing days and months and all these things, it's, it, it's not bad in a sense of, you know, like, date, holidays, uh, feasts, all these kind of things. That can be beneficial and it can be sweet if your heart is right. And it's not like a religious thing where it's like, this is what's making me holy. But when you, it's, it's all about that thing and, and that is where you find your sanctification, your righteousness is found in that. Then he's saying you're way off, way off. You've known God and you've been known by God. How on earth could you turn from him? Knowing that your heirs, knowing and tasting of the fruit that's been produced in your life, how could you go back to faking it? We ask ourselves the same questions. It is so easy to get tripped up. We are constantly in need of being reminded. And, and I, I was, forget where I was listening to it. There was, there was this, uh, I, I'd heard this message on how important it is to have people in your life that tell you the truth. Because, oh, I was reading it in a book. That's what it was. Uh, How important it is for people to tell you the truth because you have way more blind spots than you think you do. And you are way more compromised than you think you are. Like there's things in your life that are off and you can't see it for yourself. Like you are slowly moving away from the good thing. And as that continues, you will become more and more unhealthy. That will become more and more your God, your hobby horse, your stepping up soapbox, whatever it is. So it's important to have the word of God in your life that reveals to you what you really are. Here's the mirror, deal with it. And people in your life that are like, hi, I love you. Um, I know I have a, like stuff in my own eye too. I get it. And you can tell me about that, but you're not in a good spot. <laughs> There's something wrong here. Like, what's going on? What, how, where are you at? doesn't take long. It comes out. But it's important to understand none of us are susceptible to this. We all know this about everyone else, right? You can see everyone's blind spots. They all have blind spots, but not me, obviously. If I saw a blind spot, I'd deal with it. But it's called a blind spot. That means you can't see it, right? Have you had that when you're driving in your car and you're just like, literally they're in the blind spot and you just did not know that car was there. How did I lose a car? It's like 4,000 pound piece of metal. How can I not see the car next to me? Cause it's in the exact perfect spot where you can't see it. 
I had no idea that that was there. And it's terrifying, right? Now you have the, the cars that have the little yellow things that says, there's someone next to you. Don't do it. Well, we have just cars that drive. The, they'll just drive you. Don't worry about it. You're too dumb to drive. We'll take care of it. You know, turn on your computer. Oh, by the way, we need a new operating system. <laughs> See ya. All of a sudden it gets rocket boosters and takes off to the moon. You're like, um, maybe you should have gotten the Civic. This is a kind of a wild uh, experience we're dealing with here. But we must experience the, the real thing or else we're going to be sucked into the fake thing again. And stay close to God. That's that Abba, Father. Dad, I need help. Everything I'm dealing with. I'm not just thinking about it. I'm saying, God, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what's going on. God, here's where I'm struggling. God, here's where I'm, I'm, you know, anxious. Here's where I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm uncertain. Here's what I think I'm supposed to do. Is this right? God, um, here's my life. Here's my relationships. Lord, what do I do here? How can I be better? Empower me. Give me, you know, it's like dad, 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 mom, 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 mom. This is our house all day. If you have little kids, I mean, it is nonstop. It's mostly mom. I'm like, I'm right here. They'll, they'll go right past me. Mom. And she's like, your dad's in the room. Mom, can you give me water? I'm like, right. I'm right here. You know, I could have got you water. By the way, you can get water too, but I'll deal with it, you know? But that's part of that. You're like, don't come before him. Like, God, help me. I need help. Help me. Hold me. Be with me. Strengthen me. Can't do this on my own. You weren't meant to do this on our own. We put faith in, in the law or we put our weight on the law or we put our weight on things where it's not supposed to be. It is disastrous because it fails us and, and the result is not good. I, I have a perfect example. You know, sometimes you have a message um, and the, like God gives you an example you weren't asking for that week. It was like early one morning. I'm, I uh, decide I'm going out. I'm going to go for a, a ride. I was actually... Here's, here's a little confession, okay? I was going to the men's thing, and I was too late. I thought, I am too late to go to the men's thing. I had my bike, and I said, I'm going to go ride a Calavera. And it's like 6.50 in the morning, and I'm like, that's so awesome. I'm just going to go ride. And it's beautiful, you know? It's like kind of hazy, and I'm like, oh, God, you are here, you know? Missed the Bible study, but you're here anyway. Um, and so I'm cruising and I'm riding and I'm doing these loops and I'm having a good time. I'm like the only person around. And uh, all of a sudden I see these two guys and, and they're like, hey, what, you know, do you know where, what trails are you riding? I'm like telling them about some of the good trails. And I'm like, yeah, you can try it. It's right over there and this and that. And I say, hey, ride safe, guys, because I kind of got the feeling they're kind of new or whatever. And they're like, oh, ride safe. And so they go off and I think they rode safe. I take off and start pedaling, take off right away, and I snap my chain right in half as I'm cranking as hard as I can to try and beat my time on a, a track because I'm timing everything, right? So I just take off, whoo, whoo, chain snaps. You know what happens when your chain snaps when you put all your weight on it? I could tell you, my knee can tell you, my arm can tell you, you go flying into the bushes full speed, okay? And you're laying there literally 30 feet from where you started pedaling in a flat section, blood everywhere. This is what happens when you put your weight on something. It can't hold it. 
I've got to learn. I can't, I can snap a chain if it's under too much pressure. That is not what it was intended to do. I, you know, pull the handlebars and, you know, slam down 225 pounds of force. It just snaps. And what happens? I go flying, I get hurt, and it's all because I asked it to do something it was not supposed to do. The law was never to save us. It was to show us we needed salvation in Jesus. We needed a Messiah. We needed him to come. It makes us anxious for him to come. And now looking back at it, we say, thank you, you came. Thank you, this is all done. Thank you. We're no longer... A slave. And I was looking at, there's three positions. We kind of mentioned it earlier. Three positions that we're operating under toward God. One, the slave, right? Slave to sin. Completely enslaved and in bondage. No will, no way. Overtaken by our desires. It's all about us. Everything is self-serving. Fruit, what for? Why do I need fruit? I'm not hungry. No, thanks. I'll go for the candy. That's fake sugar. I don't want that kind of sugar. I want the real thing. I want some refined white sugar. That is being enslaved to sin. The servant, we want to do good, but our efforts are of the flesh. There's a lot of people caught here. Way, way, way more than we we think. Because I know I've been here before. I want to be good with God. I want him to think I'm a good boy. I want him, you know, I'm doing better than them. I'm trying my best. I'm putting in an effort. We are still under the guidelines and rules that govern our life and our relationship with God. The fruit is extremely hard to produce. And when someone tastes it, it's bitter. It has just been worked way too hard. It's not what it's supposed to think about airbrushed ads, right? We talked about that before when the fruit looks really good. It's just painted. You bite into it and it's, you got a lot of paint in your mouth. Now the apple's not as good with paint on it than it is otherwise. Right. That is, that is, you have, you have the desire, but you have no relationship. Think about John Wesley pre-Christ. He was trying to do things for God. I actually think that is a telltale sign. When you say, I'm trying to do things for God is a little bit, it doesn't mean it's all bad, but when you think, I'm doing things for God, I'm going to do this for him. It kind of sounds self-made and you might not mean it like that. And that's fine. That's in the, like, it's a linguistic thing, I guess. It's in the meaning. But I kind of like, when I hear that, I kind of think, oh, be careful. Doing things for God. It kind of sounds like he's not in the equation kind of sounds like you're doing it for him. God, look what I've done for you. He's like, I didn't ask you to do that. Hey, you know what? Here you go. I've got a plan for you. Why don't you build this desk? It's an Ikea desk. So you can just kiss the day goodbye. And you could be extremely frustrated. Today is not going to be a good day. But here it is. And by the way, it's missing a few parts. No, no, no. Here's the Ikea desk. Go build it. Okay. All right. So you grab the Ikea desk and you go, desk is cool, but with all this wood, you know what I could do? I could make a shoe rack out of this thing. And I think that would actually look kind of cooler. Or maybe just do an art project. This is not what I asked you to do. Thank you so much for being so creative. No one asked you to do this. Okay. 
This is, this is, that's that mindset of you're trying to do things for God that he never asked you to do. You're trying to use the law for righteousness. When he says, oh, I was never asking for that for righteousness. Remember, the righteousness came by faith, just like Abraham. So you have the slave completely enslaved in bondage, uh, no fruit at all, servant, fake fruit, frustrated, trying to get to God, but you don't surrender. And, and honestly, deep lying pride. There's a pride issue there. There always will be a pride issue there. And then last but not least, the son. Dad and a child having this loving relationship, learning from the father, like sitting at his feet, gaining information, trusting what he says is the right thing. As you lead, I follow. I believe you. I trust you. I know how strong you are. I know how smart you are, how wise you are. I know that you can handle this. I know you know the beginning from the end. We're confident in our dad's love. We're confident in our dad's provision. He's got it. Kids never stress you. You go to the restaurant. Dad, do you got money for this? They never ask that. They always just want to go. You have to tell them, we don't have money for this. They go, are we broke? No, we just can't go to a restaurant, okay? It's just stop, okay? We're going to be broke if you're in charge. We would be broke, 100%. Okay, can't afford it right now. Sorry. But that's that, that trusting and that love, that provision. He's got it. I'm not worried about it at all. The works are and fruit naturally flow from life. Think the engrafted, you know, this the branch. He's the, he is the vine and we're the branches. And he's feeding us and he's giving us everything we need. And as we're hooked to the life source, what comes out of us? Fruit. We ourselves become life. So we are living in life and everyone around us benefits. So we're all really in one of these three positions, right? You're completely enslaved to sin. You don't care about God at all. You're doing your own thing. Obviously that needs, but you're here. That's good. Maybe that's that's probably no one here. I'm going to say that's no one here. I don't know. Maybe it is. Servant. You, you think you're doing good. You're trying to do all the right things. Cross all the T's and dot all your I's. But you are empty inside. And you have no idea what it means to call God daddy. That's just so weird to have intimacy with him. Or you recognize that you're a son or a daughter of God. And you are operating in life. You are not perfect. But there is fruit and life coming out of you. That's where we want to be. And it's super wise of us to take honest inventory of where we're at. And because it's easy for us to, to be in the place of a son, but to drop back to the place of a slave or a servant. Because we start, it's, think about Moses, right? We've been reading through and doing the whole, uh, reading through um, the Bible in a year. Moses goes up, talks to God. Aaron's like, they wanted an idol. So we started, I just just started melting down gold. And so we made a calf. Great. This is, this is how easy it is to get off. How easy it is to take another lowercase g God, put it in that place. But 
our, our response has always got to be to come back before God in that place of intimacy and saying, know me, all of me. One of the best things you can do, and we're going to close right now. One of the best things you can do when you're uh, coming before God is to confess everything you can think of before him. Every thought, every action. It's like, it, by the way, he knows. So it's not like he's going to be like, oh my goodness. I mean, I knew there were some things. My, you know, but he knows, but just in doing that, you're making yourself vulnerable and intimate before him and then allow him to minister and work and, and ask for it. God, I can't produce this on my own. I can't try to be good enough. I can't read. I'm going to read the Bible in a week. No, it's not going to do it. You're going to let him change your heart, minister in your heart, and then produce fruit in our lives. Lord, we need you so bad. We are so desperate for you, and um, 